Do you want to talk about books? Yeah. Hello, and welcome to A Well-Read Life. This is a place to share stories about good books and the reading life. I'm your host, Beth Jamison. Join me as I meander through my reading journey and discover the books that make up a well-read life. For there in front of her was the thicket of lilacs behind the garden wall of the laurels, taller and wider than ever. The arched door in the wall was still green, though the paint was peeling off it, and the bell was still there too. Mary got out of the car, went slowly to the door, took the old brass handle in her hands, and turned it. She was aware of nothing in the world at this moment, except that she had come home. These lovely lines embodying the joy and comfort of coming home are from Elizabeth Googe's marvelous book, The Scent of Water. When I think of home, I think of a place, no matter its appearance, full of good cheer and laughter, a place of respite and restoration for weary souls, a place of healing and comfort. And nowhere else do I see this as beautifully portrayed as in an Elizabeth Googe novel. Elizabeth Googe was a prolific 20th century writer. She wrote children's books, adult fiction, short stories, and nonfiction. Her books are usually categorized in the romance genre, but to me, her books defy any specific category. They are charming and hopeful, but aware of suffering and pain, whimsical. They read much like a fairy tale, sometimes with a touch of magic. They are gentle and passionate and always imbued with evidence of her deep faith in God, but with all of the apparent joy and happiness in her books. In her own life, Elizabeth Googe was well acquainted with suffering, dealing with a depression that plagued her family. And yet, in spite of this, she gave her readers the gift of joy and hope in her work. After her death, the Times wrote this about her. Fragile in appearance, but strong in spirit, she seemed at one with the peace and simplicity of her setting. Few novelists have had comparable knowledge and faith in the goodness of human nature, the beauty of childhood, and the pursuit of things lovely and of good report. As with Jane Austen, she let other pens dwell on guilt and misery. Like Jane Austen, Elizabeth Googe is one of my favorite writers. I came to love Elizabeth Googe's writing in midlife. I read The Little White Horse in my early 20s, and as I've rather ashamedly admitted before, I was not impressed on my first reading. I have since changed my opinion about it entirely. I didn't read any of her adult fiction until a few years ago. An article sent by my mom praising her books pushed me to give her another chance. After reading the article, I made a note to look for one of her books on my next trip to the library. And what a magical trip that was. A day where I had nowhere to be and was free to leisurely roam the aisles for hours. A day when I found too many books and the only cloud which threatened to darken it was that I would not have the time to read them all in two short weeks. I found the section of Elizabeth Googe books and perused the titles on the shelf. There were plenty to choose from. Noticing the well-worn covers of them all, I first looked for the covers that were the most pleasing to the eye and then moved on from there. When I had gathered a little stack, I read the summary of each book 
and whittled the stack down to my final choice. It was a book with a green cover, not very visually appealing, that I was drawn to the most. The Scent of Water. From the summary, the story sounded sweet and promising. I turned the yellow pages and found a quote from the book of Job at the beginning. For there is hope of a tree, if it be cut down, that it will spring again, and that the tender branch thereof will not cease. Though the root thereof wax old in the earth, and the stalk thereof die in the ground, yet through the scent of water it will bud and bring forth boughs like a plant. I'm sure I had read the verse before, but reading it here made it seem new. I read the opening sentence of the prologue next, and I was immediately pulled into the story, even with what seemed dour content, an elderly woman's death. But instead of gloom and sadness, it was hopeful. The old woman, the cousin of the main character, in her final ramblings of life, speaks about sailing away on living waters. Could anything be more beautiful to utter at the end of life, I thought. They are the words of a promise fulfilled, joyful even. I made my decision and put the other books back on the shelf, my vision slightly obscured by tears. I spent the next week curled up on my sofa, blissfully ignoring the housework that was piling up, completely absorbed in the story and the people of Appleshaw. I wish I could put into words what it was like to read this book for the first time. Even now, I'm at a loss to fully articulate it. The best way I can describe the experience is that it was like sitting down with my dearest friend after a long absence, a friend that knows and understands the deepest thoughts and desires of my heart. That is an Elizabeth Googe novel. It is like an old friend, which one can mine the depths of conversation with for hours while unaware that any time is passing. At the heart of the book is a home named The Laurels. Many centuries ago, it was part of a monastery. The Laurels is situated in the rural English countryside in a quaint village called Appleshaw. In the beginning of the story, the home is passed down from one family member to another. Mary Lindsay, lately of London, inherits the Laurels from her father's cousin, also named Mary. The inheritance is a surprise. Mary met her cousin once when she visited her home as a child. It was a visit with her father, a distant memory that Mary almost forgot. But unbeknownst to her, Cousin Mary never did, and has saved the house for her. As Mary considers what to do about her inheritance, she recalls her only meeting with Cousin Mary. It is a vivid memory of her childhood visit to her future home, the lime grove which leads to the house, an old stone church in the heart of the village, which Mary later estimates is from the 12th century, and finally, a garden wall overgrown with lilacs, and in the garden wall, a green door and above it, carved in the stone archway, a name, the Laurels. When Mary meets her cousin as a young girl, she is scared of such a strange woman, until she is shown a collection of miniature curios which calms her. They are tiny treasures which her cousin refers to as the little things. They contain such things as a cheerful dwarf, a small blue teapot, and a miniature carved figurine of Queen Mab in a coach. Mary is enchanted with them, and she and her middle-aged cousin have a moment of bonding over the little things. This shared moment is what causes her cousin to leave her the laurels. At first, Mary thinks of selling the place, sight unseen. But then, as if on a whim, she decides to retire early, eschewing all of her previous plans, and live in Appleshaw at the laurels. 
She thinks she is returning there to experience the vanishing days of old England, but she is unaware what lies in wait for her in her new home. When Mary Lindsay comes home, the laurels is in a sad state of disrepair. Mold and mice have begun to infest it after years of neglect in its upkeep, her cousin sacrificing the needed repairs in order to save a small inheritance for her. Almost from the moment she arrives, Mary sets out to restore the old home to its former beauty. Engaging local craftsmen to help with the process of restoration, and a kitten named Tiger to rid the house of its mouse problem. As part of the restoration of her home, Mary sets out to find her cousin's collection of miniature curios. In her search for the little things, she comes across Cousin Mary's old diaries. Throughout the book, Mary Lindsay reads her cousin's diary as a way to become acquainted with the cousin she never knew. And she soon finds out that Cousin Mary had a history of battling an unnamed mental illness. The diary entries are a meditation, a chance for Cousin Mary to tell her story. It is an intimate portrait of a woman's strong faith in the midst of deep suffering. Elizabeth Googe writes about Cousin Mary's mental suffering and anguish in such a tender and loving way. And in spite of the all-too-real suffering of Cousin Mary, her life is a beautiful story filled with hope, grace, and obedience. Through Cousin Mary's diary entries, we witness her journey of growing faith in God. When the thread of her story is first introduced, she has just come home to her parents' house after a stay in an asylum. Her greatest desire is to move to the country to escape the noise of city life in hopes that it will prevent future bouts of her illness. Her parents, out of concern for her, refuse. At a garden party given by her mother, Cousin Mary wanders away, escaping the noise and din of the party, and seeks the peace of the garden and there encounters an eccentric clergyman from the party who is also seeking solace in the garden. Within their conversation, Cousin Mary confesses to him her fear that she will one day lose her reason completely. The clergyman wisely prods her to get at the root of her fear, leading her to a trust in God in spite of her circumstances. He offers her no easy answers, wisely knowing, as Job discovered in the days of old, we are not always given answers to suffering. But still he offers hope and makes this promise on parting. He will pray for her every day of his life until he dies. After this meeting with the clergyman, Cousin Mary writes that she is at last able to convince her parents to let her take a house in the country. It is there, in the midst of the storm in her life, she finds refuge in moments of peace and lucidity, as is so beautifully evidenced in a diary entry that she writes shortly after her move to the Laurels. I shall live and die here. Perhaps I shall never be well, but this place will give me periods of respite that I would not have found in any other. And though I am able to do nothing else in this life, except only seek, my life seeming to others a v-monkey, yet it will not be so. Because what I seek is the goodness of God that waters the dry places. The words of Cousin Mary prove to be prophetic. When she discovers one of the secrets of the house is that it was once part of an abbey, the infirmary, a place of healing for the sick and broken, her tie to the house grows. It is as if there is a blessing on the house to continue as a place of healing and rest throughout the ages. As well as a respite from her illness, she finds purpose at her new home. Her purpose, she believes, to preserve the house for a girl. Her sister is her next of kin, but she is wise enough to realize that her sister will not understand and love the laurels or the little village of Appleshaw, and so she resolves to save the house for an as-yet-unknown child. 
Her diary records this moment of decision. She writes, This child, my child, will come and she will have the laurels and all I possess. I will set to work to make the garden as lovely as I can. I will plant flowering shrubs and rose trees and make a water lily pool and find a cupid or a dolphin boy to watch over it till she comes. And I will take great care of the house for her. I feel one with her, as though we were the same woman. She will find great happiness in all that I have prepared for her. And in her, so shall I. They that sow in tears shall reap in joy. Perhaps you will even reap my faith, as I believe I have reaped that of the old man. What a beautiful portrait of the importance of home in these words, preserving it with the ability one has for future generations. This is Cousin Mary's sole purpose, one which gives her hope to hold on to this precious house of healing and pass it on to a future generation. And it is this small act of obedience which will transform and heal many broken souls throughout the little community. As Mary Lindsay restores her cousin's home and settles in, a very dear group of people are drawn to it. Paul Randall, a gifted writer and poet, scarred and blinded by the war with a failing marriage. Edith Talbot, the adopted daughter of Mary's neighbors, sullen and out of place in her new family, the guilt from a lie bearing heavy on her heart. Jean Anderson, the vicar's sister, who suffers from nerves and anxiety, intimidated by her overbearing brother. Mrs. Heppelwhite, who suffers greatly from the neglect and frequent infidelity of her husband. Colonel and Mrs. Adams, a devoted elderly couple with a wayward son who causes them much grief and sacrifice. These dear people are broken but not inferior, weathered and bent by life, as we all have been if we are honest. Along with Mary and her cousin before her, they will all find healing and hope in the walls and grounds of the laurels. As Paul Randall says to Mary near the end of the book, that more than most country places, Appleshaw has the scent of water in it. To which Mary asks him, what is the scent of water? Renewal. The goodness of God coming down like dew. And this goodness and renewal of God is lavished in abundance, commingling with the pain and sorrow of the past on the residence of Appleshaw. A couple of years ago, after the story I just related, I was at my local library. And I again found myself wandering the section of Elizabeth Gouge's novels, looking for those familiar worn covers. Surprised, I noticed the diminished number of titles in the section. Perhaps, I thought, someone has checked them out and is at this moment discovering the books for themselves. Or possibly, I have a kindred spirit somewhere in town who is rereading it. But to my dismay and heartache, I found that this was not the case. A quick survey of my library's online catalog broke the devastating news to me. It no longer had a copy of The Scent of Water. I hope that some lucky soul found it at a library sale and knowing the merit of it, snatched it up without a second thought. But still, I can't bear to think of it being discarded, no longer available for someone to discover. Perhaps Elizabeth Googe is a little old-fashioned for modern taste. Perhaps her ideals don't translate as well to this generation although I will fight as long as I can that they do, because we miss out on a wealth of truth and beauty if we dismiss her. Elizabeth Googe's biographer, Christine Rawlings, said this of her, For whatever her life contained, whatever she had to cope with or to live without, 
she strove to find light in the darkness and to create comfort and hope for others from her own despair. At the end of the struggle, she would share with the world a hard-won belief that the light of Christ lies hidden at heart of all life's darkness, and that indeed all shall be well. Elizabeth Gooch had an incredible insight to suffering. She wrote of faith without being preachy, and although her writing is chaste, it isn't sanitized. Often her stories are tied to place and home, beautifully showing that they are spaces to dispel the darkness and bring renewal. Elizabeth Gooch was a writer of hope, and she freely offered this beautiful gift to the world. My own life has been greatly enriched by her books, The Scent of Water in particular. In dark days, when gloom is thick and anxiety threatens to overwhelm, I can think of nothing more medicinal than an Elizabeth Gooch book and a hot cup of tea. Reading one of her books is like a conversation with your most intimate friend, the one who never fails to bring balm to the soul. Read this if you need a cozy book that will transport you to a picturesque English village. Read it for its picture of community and the many ways our lives are enriched and transformed by each other. Read it for its beauty and insight. Read it for the portrait it paints of suffering and how hope and grace can shine through even the darkest days. Read it for its beautiful portrayal of home, a place of restoration and hope for weary souls. Well, that's all for this week. I'll be back in two weeks with a new episode. If you'd like to connect in the meantime, you can find me at WellRedBeth on Instagram. Until next time.